This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Hi Pam, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Jeannie Ewing. Mm-hmm. I've been a Catholic spirituality writer for about five years publicly. Mm-hmm. So I have several books out. I mostly write about grief and suffering and understanding our suffering. This is, is what I mean by that. Okay. And also how to wait fruitfully during times of uh, uncertainty or when we're waiting for test results or we don't really know what God's doing in our lives. So that's, I guess you could say it's kind of, it is kind of a ministry because I also do speaking engagements on these topics, not always related to my books. Uh, I do have a, uh, some Marian ones. So I just did a talk called Grieving with Mary last fall, and this was, uh, the audience was mainly moms who have lost children, whether it was miscarriage, stillbirth, death by suicide, uh, cancer, lots of different things. And uh, I do I do find myself talking more about the Blessed Mother, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, because she has been very instrumental in, I think, the depth the heart, I would say, of what I understand about my faith. And so she is very much working on my heart personally. As I write things, I I can tend to see the world through my tainted lenses, so to speak. And the Blessed Mother always softens my heart. Mm -hmm. She helps me to look beyond the politics that people play in publishing. And, you know, everyone experiences politics in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. Including in the church. But the Blessed Mother helps me to, I think, just be patient with people, to see myself and my weaknesses, to try to step away from what I think is right or even what I know is right and allow the Holy Spirit to work through the mess of human frailty and faults and sins, including my own. So she's very instrumental in that. She's also um, influenced my writing and my speaking recently because I am a mom. Mm. I've yeah. And my um, my oldest just made her first communion this weekend, and my youngest is about four months old. Okay. And so, you know, we have the whole gamut of development in our house right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> but she's helped me to, I think, be a better mother, and she's also helped me with my relationship with my own mother. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of depth to how I believe that Mary can intervene in our lives in a way that is profoundly life-changing and uh, I think because Mary is a mother who has been through everything and I think mothers can relate because um, uh, another one of our regular guests uh, Charles keeps saying this as a parent you relate to life very differently when you have a child and Mary has 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 gone through everything the loss of a child um, migration poverty everything that a human being can experience so Mary has been through all of that. And as a mother, I think it's, it's very different when you look at it as a parent, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, when you're, if we're talking about um, the Blessed Mother's public appearances, too, mm-hmm. throughout the ages, she always comes to us as a mother. And mm-hmm. she always comes to those who are um, like children, they're childlike. So it's almost like that relationship is very natural, I feel, Mm -hmm. when she appears. She either appears to children who literally are her children, or she appears to people who are very, very childlike. They have a very simple faith Mm -hmm. that is not complicated by 
doubt and despair and constant questioning and worrying about what God's doing and lack of trust and confidence in him. It's very simple for them. And I think that's probably why she chooses what we could say someone who is poor in spirit mm. herself too, in um, an apparition, in a physical way. Okay. So for people who don't know, what exactly is an apparition? I mean, there's been so many, uh, so many of hers uh, all over the centuries. So what exactly is it, sorry, for people who don't know what her appearances are? Well, I'm not going to give you a theological definition because I'm not a theologian. <laughs> But from what I know, you know, an apparition, you could take that, if you're not even talking about the Blessed Mother, think of the word apparition. Mm. An image or a mirage, I guess you could say, of a what some people might say would be like a ghost. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about apparitions of the Blessed Mother, we're talking about normally she is appearing to people in a physical body. They can literally see a human person. In some cases, you know, she actually touches things. And she's very three-dimensional. So it's not, we're not talking about a specter or a ghost mm. or this uh, form, you know, that's not really human. We're talking about the Blessed Mother comes down from heaven in the flesh. But she, because of her, um, you know, her perfection and because she it has, from the, the moment of her own conception, is spiritually perfect, mm. is also able to have these gifts that make her seem more ghost-like, I would say. So, for instance, she can bilocate. She has obviously influenced certain miracles. So if we're talking about, like, Guadalupe, mm. or if we talk about the tilma, that image that's yeah. more preserved mm. today, or if we're talking about the roses on top of Tepeyac Hill mm. in winter, these are signs that she's able to do by virtue of the fact that she is in heaven and she is so very close to her son Jesus, the most... The closest person who's ever lived to God, and, and she enjoys that that beatific vision in heaven. So apparition, in that sense, means she literally visits people mm-hmm. whom she chooses, obviously because it's who God chose mm-hmm. to special message that the world at the time needs to hear. So in some cases, it could like let's talk about Fatima. We could say the entire world needed the message of Fatima, and we still do. Well, you could talk about certain regions, too, mm. or Guadalupe or something like that. Even in my home state in Bloomington, there are certain regions throughout the world that maybe need a specific message from the Blessed Mother. Yeah. She will come, and she appears in form that those native people can relate to. She speaks their language. She wears their clothing. She has the same color skin. And I think that that's really important because it proves that Mary is the mother of all humankind. Mm-hmm. All, it doesn't matter where we're from, how old or young we are, what language we speak, if we're poor or wealthy or if we're educated or not. It doesn't matter. She, as our mother, appears to us the way we are. And that's so beautiful and it's so very, very maternal in the more, most organic sense of the word because how else would she win our hearts unless she came to us as we are, as a reflection of our own people? And it's good you mentioned uh, the message because I think when it, when it was Guadalupe, I think at that point there was a lot of uh, cannibalism, there was a lot of voodoo, and, and the moment she appeared, millions of people suddenly became Catholics. And, and everywhere she has appeared, there has, there has been like 
conversions by the millions, not hundreds, not thousands, by the millions. So yeah. what is the significance of Mary's appearance um, other than just, uh, I know conversion is foremost, but what is the significance of Mary's appearance to these regions as they happen? That's a fantastic question. I have to think about that a little bit more deeply, but my initial reaction is this. I think the Lord sends the Blessed Mother instead of, let's say, himself. Obviously, Jesus won't come until the second coming anyway. Mm. Version of himself, like the Holy Spirit who inspires us spiritually uh, mm. or be another saint. I think he specifically sends his mother for the reason that she is the agent of healing. We're talking, like you mentioned Guadalupe, and you're right, there were a lot of... Um, I think the religion of the of the natives, the indigenous people, was out of fear because mm -hmm. they were being these pagan idols that were, like you said, cannibalistic, and they were doing human sacrifices of children, of babies, and um, people in Mexico at the time submitted to that religion because they were afraid. And so, and also, of course, this was steeped in sin. Not that those people knew that at the time; some of them didn't, of course, because they had never been exposed to Catholicism. So, if we're talking about something set apart from the message she wants to bring to the world. I think it's personal healing. And that kind of goes along with conversion. But if you think about it, for so long, we've lived in a culture that's just steeped in darkness, mm. death, despair, restlessness, mm. bitterness, competition, fighting, contempt. I mean, there's just so many different things that are pushing us further and further away from our true selves, which mm -hmm. is who we are as a reflection of God. Well, who better to bring us back to the source than our spiritual mother? I think God sends her because people listen to her. They're not gonna listen to their mom. She's, you know, if you think about the places that she has appeared, mm -hmm. she's very clear in her purpose or her intention, um, but yet gentle. And we want our mothers to be, right? Yeah. We need a mom to give us the truth, but yet do it in a way that's not harsh, that will obviously leave us with no choice but to kind of melt in her embrace because that's what love does. Mm. The Blessed Mother is the maternal reflection of God, and the world needs the gift of femininity, the authentic gift of femininity, yeah. as Mary expresses it. She is part of the church, the heart of the suffering people who have had their hearts broken open or torn open by war and poverty and all of these struggles that leave us ex just completely empty and exhausted. She heals the heart. So I don't know if that answers your question completely, but that's kind of my initial thought about that. Okay. So it, it's pretty good. I mean, it, it does mean that that she has a purpose. I mean, wherever she has appeared has brought about significant change to the communities. So I know there's a long list. You have uh, various blog posts which mention uh, a detailed list. And I'm going to put a link for all the people who want to see because Mary has appeared throughout the centuries multiple times. But what are the most significant and recognized apparitions that, that have really changed the face of humanity? Um, well, I, like we talked a lot about Gua Guadalupe. Of course, people have heard of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Lourdes is another popular one. Mm -hmm. Lady of Fatima is another well, well-known one, specifically because a couple of years ago was the um, 
centenary yeah. 100th anniversary yeah, right, yeah, yeah. of the apparitions a lot of people don't know some lesser known ones right like um saint catherine Labore, mm-hmm. yeah the image of the miraculous medal directly yeah. from the blessed mother yes. a lot of saints in fact received apparitions of the blessed mother mm-hmm. that they then went on because they had a specific calling or some kind of devotion or prayer they were supposed to lead the, the populace to. Um, so I'm just scrolling through what I wrote. There's quite, there are quite a few in France. Mm-hmm. And I really like, there are a couple of them that really are personal to me. So my family and my husband's family, we are very, very Irish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm German and a little bit, I'm, I'm European, like a mixture, right? Mm-hmm. My almost 100% Irish, Scotch-Irish. So Our Lady of Knock, mm, yeah. very, very special devotion or apparition that we in our family love. My parents have gone to Ireland several years, and they always go to the shrine of Our Lady of Knock. What was her message at, uh, at Knock? So, you know, a lot of people, when they think of the Irish people from 100 or 150 years ago, They think of poverty, which is true. So in, during the Great Irish Famine, countless people were unemployed, homeless, starving. And there were a group of faithful men and women and children who would attend this small parish church. And the Blessed Mother appeared to them, but alongside St. Joseph, St. John the Evangelist as well. Um, the way that this group of people described her, she was hovering a little bit above the ground, dressed in a white cloak, and she had a golden crown that was lit up. And she looked like she was very intensely praying with her hands folded and her head bowed. And so the people who were, who were witnessing this apparition decided to just naturally join her in prayer. And see, that's another thing. As most people who receive apparitions, it's like they just are drawn to pray the rosary. Mm. They say, and Lords, that's what she did. She didn't even know who the lady was <laughs> in a little grotto area of this dump, right? But she was like, I guess I'll get my rosary out and pray. So that's what these people in Knock did. And it's now, not only is it a, a shrine and like an international shrine and pilgrimage site, but it is a place where a lot of people have received healings and lots of answered prayers, lots of favors reported. I would like to mention to your audience something about the Blessed Mother that's just reminding me as I'm talking about this. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay. So there are so many titles of Mary. Mm. E of Grace, our uh, Mother of Divine Grace, Mother of Mercy. You know, we have this litany of Yeah, Lord. yeah, that's true. All these titles, right? Yeah. So Our Lady of Knock is a title, like I'm just mentioning, or Our Lady of Fatima is a title. Now, some people might think, well, why in the world are there these, like, hundreds of titles <laughs> for Mary? Well, the reason is this. And I've gotten this from St. Louis de Montfort, a very, very well-known psychologist. Yes. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, he basically said this, when we pray to the Blessed Mother under a specific title, mm-hmm. we actually receive graces specific to that title or that particular message that she appeared to. Okay. So if I'm praying to Our Lady of Sorrows instead of, say, Our Lady of Guadalupe, if I'm praying to Our Lady of Sorrows, she pours out specific graces to me under that title that relate to that title. Mm -hmm. So because she received the prophecy of Simeon as Our Lady of Sorrows, 
one of the things he said was, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Mm. Areologists tend to agree that under Our Lady of Sorrows, that title or that devotion, we receive the grace to see ourselves more honestly and clearly as we really are. Mm as one of the graces given to her under that title. So that's one of the reasons there are so many different apparitions, different messages worldwide, like Akita Japan is another one. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we're talking globally, it's because there are um, particular graces that she wants to give us that it, that it might differ from a different um, prayer that we might pray to a different title of her name. Does that make sense? Yeah, I yeah. And it's fantastic. I mean, it's it's great that you shared it because I think most people are wondering why we have so many. I mean, we call her the Ark of the Covenant. We call her, you know, the Tower of Ivory. We call her so many things. Um, uh, Queen of Virgins, Queen of the Rosary, Queen of, uh, you know, all these things. Queen of Arabia right now. So uh, it's good that you shared that. But uh, I know a lot of people are going to ask, and these are all the, the atheists, the science uh, people who are going to say, has science supported this? Because... Uh, at Majuri, there's this dancing sun, and there's all these things that happen that science cannot explain. But has um, science supported some of these things? Because I know the Our Lady of Guadalupe's tilma has been um, scientifically yeah. verified, right? Right, that's right. It not, I wouldn't say like every single apparition site has some kind of physical evidence left behind that the skeptics could study mm -hmm. using only scientific means. At the same time, there are lots and lots of reports of skeptics who do visit these sites. <laughs> and they are like instantly and inexplicably changed. So, you know, I think that, I think that skepticism is healthy to a degree. It's important for us to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Time, there are so many questions that don't have answers yeah. in this world. Yeah. I think that a lot of atheists are atheists because they say, well, how could there be a benevolent God if there's so much evil and suffering in the world? Mm -hmm. I, all the time because of what, the nature of what, of what I write about, grief and suffering and all of that. And my answer is this. First of all, God did not create suffering or evil. That is not his intention. That was because of the fall of the angels and then eventually Adam and Eve, which of course I know atheists will rip that apart. <laughs> But, it, but, the fact, but if you want to skip all of that theological discussion and go to the fact that we all know, we can all agree, skeptics and believers alike, that suffering does exist, it is here, and evil does happen. Well, why? Why does God allow it? Well, because he loves us. Love does not force a person to choose what's right and to always do um, what the lover wants him or her to do. Mm. It means that we always have the freedom to make our own decisions. Yeah. Sometimes that has, you know, to our detriment or to the detriment of other people or mm. even both societies. If we're talking about horrible wars, mm. you know, we can certainly see evil, the hand of evil in that. But at the same time, you know, you if you want to look at these places like um, that are very war-torn and poverty-stricken, so there's a lot of suffering, mm -hmm. a lot of faith that grows from that, from the ground root, you know, from the, the grassroots effort, I would say, of the people who say, I, I have nothing. Everything was taken from me except my dignity. Mm. Oh, that is why I believe that there is a God, because I saw him in the midst of this horrible experience. Or mm. right now I'm thinking of like concentration camps or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Is there physical evidence at every single site of an apparition? No. But at the same time, any healthy skeptic who really is a true skeptic has to accept the fact that there are always going to be questions that will never be answered on the earth because there's too much mystery. There's too many, there's too much vastness. Even yeah. if people, even like a pure scientist is going can look at the world on a macrocosmic or a microcosmic level and they're never going to exhaust every single question they have. Mm-hmm. It's not possible. Yeah. So I think all of us have to just agree that there are questions that don't have answers. There are mysteries in life. We can still seek. As long as we're seeking truth, we will find God. We will find truth. That's good, yeah. And what about the risk of ignoring these apparitions? Because I believe, and, and there are so many apparitions that the church hasn't really confirmed because they're still studying them, like the one in Rwanda. Yeah. And and I believe uh, Emmanuel, uh, I think it was Emmanuel Ibigaza who wrote her book, Left to Tell. And she said that Mary appeared in Rwanda warning people that the genocide was going to happen and it was ignored and then millions of people died. So what are the risks of ignoring these apparitions, these messages to specific people uh, in various regions? Well, you just said one of them, and that's true for, I think of the message of Fatima. Well, and then there's Medjugorje, which is still partially under investigation too. So these messages, sometimes they do have warnings wrapped in them. And I think, I think the Blessed Mother's clear about what will happen if people don't pay heed mm. by making, whatever that is, making um, more fasting and more prayer, like like the message of Medjugorje, um, penance, you know, more penance or praying the rosary specifically, yeah. like Fatima. Um, so let's say for someone like me, I live in, you know, small town, mid, small Midwestern town, and there's really no particular urgency going on my, you know, nothing politically going on, I'm not in the middle of war or poverty mm. or, um, there's nothing specifically devastating or urgent in my immediate environment. So why would I pay attention to these messages? Yeah. So they might say, right? Yeah. Um, well, because there's a couple of reasons. One is that I am part of the whole body of Christ. Yeah. I am one member so I might be the finger and somebody else might be the thumb and somebody else might be the eye if we're talking about a whole body, right, from Corinthians. Mm, yeah. And if, the, if, if I, as that particular member who has a specific calling, who has specific gifts and charisms, if I am not um, using them, if I'm not being obedient to that call the way God's asking me to, then that means the whole body suffers. And that means that my prayers, the might that God might carry those graces from that prayer or that sacrifice or that penance or reparation, He might carry those graces to a third world country that I'll never visit in this life. Mm. But if I'm not being obedient to that and I'm not making that effort to join my efforts in prayer with those who are suffering, then we, then we see the devastating effects of that. Mm-hmm. We see it all the time now anyway. Yeah. Most people they're too busy to pray or, you know, um, they're, they're, they might say something like, well, the rosary's boring. Or, I mean, I've, I've heard lots of different <laughs> I know. But the truth is, okay, it's a discipline. Prayer is a discipline. It's mm-hmm. a higher 
Yes. It requires an act of the will. Yeah. Which I might in this moment not quote feel like praying, mm-hmm. but I act of the will in my intellect in my mind. I'm saying no. My decision is going to override the way I feel because I know that God is asking me to do this right now. Mm-hmm of love for others, out of love for maybe a particular family member who is dying, who doesn't believe in God, or maybe, uh, my, for instance, my husband feels very, very, very strongly called to pray for the persecuted Christians in Pakistan. Ooh, okay. I mean, wow. he just, it is just a, like part of his mission, and he's, he talks about it all the time. Every time we pray a family rosary, he offers up his intentions for that. Mm connected with some priests and laity who work in Pakistan mm. in some of these very, very, um, you know, war-torn areas. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that it's important for us all to take time to listen to what God's asking of us and even ask the question. Yeah. Asking of me, God. Yeah. And it's part of what the Blessed Mother helps us to do. When we can't very clearly hear what God's doing in our lives or what he wants of us, the Blessed Mother comes in and she makes it clear. Mm-hmm. These messages and these apparitions do. They're, they're meant to shake us up to the core, to shake us, yeah. uh, to awaken us so yeah. that we're not like those sleepy virgins that fell asleep when Jesus came, the bridegroom. Yeah. Yeah. We're supposed to be the ones who are vigilant, watching, waiting, anticipating. And that's really what it means to be um, a Christian anyway. To, to really live the Christian walk means that we really can't be complacent mm. or um, ambivalent. We have to be intentional. We have to have that zeal for love of God and love of others. And that's what the Blessed Mother helps us to do. It's good you mentioned that because another guest on our show, I, uh, I don't know if you know her, she's from Ignatian Press, she's uh, Anita Wright, and she said the same thing. Ask, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And every one of us is called uh, to, to a particular purpose. And if, I think it was, it was Pope John Paul II who said, um, you know, if one million people were actually praying the rosary, we would have changed the world, the way it works. So... Each person needs to answer, like, what do you want me to do? And then do it and just not say, okay, well, here I am, Lord, send somebody else. But the thing is, what do we do now, knowing everything we know about her appearances? What what should I as a Christian do? Should I start praying the rosary? Should I read more about this? What should I be doing? Well, it kind of goes with what you just said. We all have unique callings, right? So we're all going to be drawn to different types of prayers or different devotions to the Blessed Mother. Mm-hmm. I the best way to start is at a very basic level. So, so we could even start in prayer every day by saying, Lord, how do you want me to grow in love for your mother? Mm-hmm. And very, very interesting because very quickly we will see the answer to that. For instance, I never really had a strong devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows until about a year and a half ago. And what happened was I really felt like my prayer life was getting kind of stagnant Mm. and I didn't really know how to fix it or change it. And so I just kind of said a very simple prayer of some variation, like I just mentioned. Mm. And within like a week, I had heard three different people say something about Our Lady of Sorrows. Mm. Walk in our parish and I see this giant statue of Our Lady of Sorrows and 
I had heard like a talk on the, on, you know, Catholic radio and it was this priest talking about Our Lady of Sorrows. I'm like, okay, that's it. That's God's answer <laughs> to prayer. And so I just looked up different devotions to Our Lady of Sorrows. There's our, um, the Sorrowful Rosary. Mm. Uh, rosary. There's the Seven Sorrows yeah. that you can pray every day. Yeah. Um, and so I started with the Seven Sorrows because I didn't have the specific rosary at the time. And I just, I just talked like I would talk to my mom mm. or it. I just talk to her that way. Here I am, blessed mother. I don't really know what I'm supposed to be asking you for or telling you about or doing right now. I just am asking you to give me the grace that God wants you to have. Mm-hmm. And it was so incredible because she started opening my heart more and more to seeing myself mm-hmm. and my weaknesses and my gifts and seeing how I wasn't using my gifts and, um, seeing the world around me in a different way, everything was just more crisp and clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt so much more peaceful. So my answer to you is that, is that it, those of you who are listening, it's really about just starting at a very basic level. If you don't know where to begin and you don't really want to start with the rosary or you don't, if something seems really overwhelming or tedious, it's okay to say, Lord, how do you want me to honor your mother? It might be something like attending May crowning this month. Yeah, yeah. Going to a first Saturday devotion. Hmm. It could be Marian consecration. I mean, there's yeah, so many yeah, is to honor Mary. Yeah. Uh, we also have a statue in our home, so you could also, you know, just get a statue of the Blessed Mother, put it in a place of prominence or an image of her, an icon. Hmm. Uh, light a candle there. Just say a Hail Mary, or just just say hi to her when you walk past. Prayer does not have to be complicated. Prayer is about relationship. Yeah. And relationship goes back to listening with the heart and speaking honestly. That's what it is. And that's what we're supposed to be doing with the Lord and with our, our lady. So any last words that you have about um, apparitions in general? It's the month of May and it's great that you brought up the consecration because I think one of the messages of Mary at all of her apparitions is consecrate the world to me, consecrate it to my immaculate heart. Um, so it, you know, any last words on the subject? Yeah. Um, so the church does not say we have to accept or believe any of these apparitions. These are intended to sort of um, enrich mm. our experience as Christians. And I don't want any listeners to think, oh, my gosh, I have to learn everything. <laughs> you, know, every single you know, that's not, that's not the intention. The intention is I really believe that whoever's listening to this, they're going to feel drawn. Yeah. Something that draws them. Maybe it's one of the the apparitions I mentioned. Maybe it's that I said the word consecration, or you talked about it. Maybe it, it could. There's going to be something in this in this talk that will just draw that person's heart, and that's a signal from the Holy Spirit that that's the direction that that person needs to follow. Okay. Maybe they're going to look at this article and some random obscure apparition that hardly anyone's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gonna speak to them in some way and maybe they're going to feel like i need to go to you know i need to plan a pilgrimage here or i need to something like that right yeah yeah just go with where the holy spirit leads the point is just begin yeah be- with relationship begin with conversation and listen okay 
So thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule, sharing with us everything about you know the apparitions. We've had a hard time getting people to talk about this. So thank you so much, Jeannie. And uh, let people know where they can find your books, where they can find you for speaking engagements. How can they contact you? Let them know. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Pam. It was a delight to talk with you. I hope that um, I wasn't too rambling, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. So, and to your audience, thank you for listening. I hope that you gleaned some sort of nugget that you can take with you this month of May. Uh, you can find more about me and my work on my website, which is genieewing.com, J-E-A-N-N-I-E-E-W-I-N-G.com. And I've got tabs that show like my books and speaking engagements and the topics that I do for speaking engagements, things like that. Okay, great. And are you on Twitter, Facebook? Um... Oh, yes. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram mainly and LinkedIn.